But you know what hope I have? That the scriptures call Jesus also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you know anything about Disney theology and you've watched The Lion King, you know that when Scar starts roaring out there and he starts to fight, Simba becomes the man he was always called to be and he kicks his butt. Because the reality is, though, as much as there is fear that is almost instilled in us when we hear that Satan's coming for us, I want you to take hope in the reality that it is Jesus who's coming for him. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. You know, it's been said that we are the most educated, the wealthiest the most materially blessed nation and generation that's ever existed. But yet we find ourselves to still be the most unhappy. In a study done at Dartmouth University that was published in Inc. Magazine, a professor by the name of Blanche Flower did a unique study on happiness in over 135 different countries. And what he found was actually there is an inverted curve on happiness. What he said is that you reach your peak level of happiness at the age of 18. <laughs> and then he said, you don't actually get to this peak level of happiness until your mid-60s. And you peak at your highest level of unhappiness at 47.2 years of age. So you're talking about 45 years of like, what the heck is going on with my life? This all sucks. What in the world? I keep working and nothing ever gets paid. The kids are running around. Can't get a girl. Can't find a job. Everything's tough. Oh my goodness. Now I'm exaggerating, right? I'm exaggerating. Some of you are like, dude, chill out. But something happens in this span of 45 years where our level of happiness isn't what it once was. When you get into your 30s, you almost look back on your life and you're like, it felt a little easier and better. And You get into your later 30s and, you know, I'm 35, guys, 35. And I think back to the glory days sometimes. As opposed to them being in front of me, right? We used to play basketball a little better than we did now. You know, I'm talking to my buddy over here. Not Gus. Not Gus. <laughs> Gus is in his prime. <laughs> but all of a sudden, every decade, you look back and you say, I thought it was going to be better when I got to this age. I thought it was going to be better. And what he found is that there are two things that occur two conclusions that he came up to why people get into this state of unhappiness during this season of these 45 years. The first one is this word. Expectation. 
When you're in your early 20s, bro, the world's my oyster. I can do it. I'm going to make it, baby. I'm going to be an influencer, make millions, have my Ferrari, the mansion, the stuff. Dude, I'm going to be cool. Everyone's going to like it. And then you hit the reality. You can't get past like 50 subscribers. You couldn't get past 75 likes. So people didn't really like your videos. And they thought you were an idiot. Your expectations get burst. You fail the exam. You change your major seven times in a matter of three years. Every time you get to a hurdle, you jump into another thing because it was too tough. The girl said no. The guy moved on. The car didn't come. You got into an accident. Health problem. Life hits you. Your expectations burst. And you realize life's a little bit harder than you thought it was when you were younger. Second thing that is where we're going to focus our time a little bit more so in figuring out is this other word, comparison. Every moment you step into the realm of the digital age, you're straight up messing with your mind. It's like this moment of realization, I feel ashamed and naked for who I am. I don't have what they have. I'm not where they are. I haven't accomplished what he has. She's made it so much further. She's more beautiful. He's wealthier. He's more degreed. He's got more jobs. She's actually married. He's got an actual car. I'm still driving on the bus. Like, what in the world? Comparison. In the span of these 45 years, in the midst of the comparison age, we succumb to temptations that wreck us, ruin us, and make us less of who God desired us to be, which is who he wants you to be. And so we're going to look at a text tonight in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus looks into his own self and has to make a few decisions. Will I allow the temptation of unhappiness, potentially, I didn't say he was, but the potential for that to occur in my life? And Jesus chooses some interesting ways to navigate this. The woman at the well looked at Jesus and she said, where is the water of life? I want it. Tonight we're going to find the water of life in Jesus' own way of navigating temptation unhappiness, and temptation. Jump into it with me in Matthew chapter 4, and let's look at this together. This is one of the most beautiful and profound things that happens in the life of Jesus, and I think a lot of us don't always pay attention enough to what Jesus did here. He battled in the wilderness. I said this last week, every one of us will have a dark night of the soul. A moment in your life, a season in your life where you question everything, you wonder about who you are, and you go through a testing period. You wonder if God tests you. It's all throughout scripture. God tests his people. Your wilderness will come. It's not a matter of if. It's simply when. Maybe you're in it now. Maybe you're wondering if it'll come in your life. Everything's going smooth. Praise God for you, bro. But be ready. So we jump into verse 1. Matthew chapter 4. Bust it out in your Bibles. Or 
Look it up here in the back. We'll move this out of the way for a moment. Got some pianos. And so the text says here, chapter 1, chapter uh, 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Hmm. We're going to ask ourselves this question. Was Jesus actually taken to a place to be tempted? Does God do that to us? Does he take us into spaces to be tempted? Maybe take out the word tempted and use the word tested. Does Jesus take you into spaces to be tested? Some of you would say no. Others will you say yes. you got to fight with the scriptures because the scriptures always bring up this idea God tests his people watching for their obedience. Will you stand up to what you're called to live into? We'll find out later what God does in here. But it also uses the word 40. We're going to come back to the number 40 and the significance of that by the end. But let's go on to verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, we're just going to stop right there. There is so much just in this one sentence. The tempter came to him and said, you realize that Satan comes to you? Do you realize that Satan goes to you? I remember being on the basketball court under the bridge over here. Again, basketball, sorry. Under the, under the road over here as you're going down Barton and there's a basketball court out there. You know that one? Just down the road. Anyways, it was, it's been like five, six years since that happened. And I remember, you know, pulling some moves, going around, putting the ball in the hoop while the guy guarding me couldn't get me. It was one of those days. I don't have very many of them anymore. Anyways, the guy was pissed. I mean, he was furious. And he said these words, I'm going to come for you. And he was angry. And he came for me. And his buddies had to get on him. I mean, it was a mess. Your pastor got almost into a fight. I was going to take him. It's just mess. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. But he said, I'm going to come for you. And he came. Just as this guy did that to me, don't assume that Satan doesn't have that same speech with you every morning that you get up. I'm going to come for you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and 8, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and vigilant, for Satan is a roaring lion looking to whom he may devour. Peter wasn't mincing his words. He wants to take you out. I'm going to come for you. That's a scary thing that it says that he's a roaring lion looking to who he's going to take out. But you know what hope I have? That the scriptures call Jesus also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you know anything about Disney theology and you've watched The Lion King, you know that when Scar starts roaring out there and he starts a fight, Simba becomes the man he was always called to be and he kicks his butt. 
Because the reality is, though, as much as there is fear that is almost instilled in us when we hear that Satan's coming for us, I want you to take hope in the reality that it is Jesus who's coming for him. And when you side with Christ, there is no fear you have to live into, but simply saying, I am his and he is mine. I am protected, washed, blessed, chosen, asked for day in, day out. God is on your team. Friends, I want you to take hope in that, but do not take it for granted. Because he will still allow you to be tested. And so the first test for Jesus emerges. Verse 3. The tempter came for him and said, If, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's interesting the question and statement that he gives Jesus. Very first thing that he wants to do is cast doubt into Jesus' mind about what? His identity, his Messiahship, who he is. One of the biggest temptations that emerges that Satan will always burst out into you and me, and particularly in this generation, he will attack your identity. Because if he can attack your identity, he's attacking the core of who you are. And if you are confused about that, he can shake every part of you. If you don't know that you're a prince of the Most High, a princess of the Chosen One, if you don't understand the significance of who He made you to be, friend, you will be shaken at the core. And so, sure enough, He does that very thing for a moment until Jesus then busts out this. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live alone by the bread but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus isn't having any of the doubt. No, 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 no. Bro, I know exactly who I am. For it is written. Three words that are so essential to the reality of what Jesus does with temptation and what he calls you and me to do with temptation as well. What does that mean for you when you hear those three words, it is written? He had the word in his mind. He didn't have to pull out his little scroll from his back pocket. Let me roll this. You know, it says right here, I'm struggling with temptation. Quote this verse because this will really help you. Listen, Satan, for it says, some of us continually go to Google, and I do it too. Because I don't have the word written in my heart and mind. We are spiritually weak. If I used the word pathetic, it wouldn't be a far stretch. The people that died during the, during the Middle Ages for their faith had the word written on their hearts and they were willing to be burned for it. You and I couldn't be burned for anything because we don't know it. That's how awful it is. If someone took away the internet from you and I and all of our Bibles, I don't know if we could put the Bible together by our memory. I'm not trying to slap people around. I'm just telling it like it is tonight. 
But then we come to this. Jesus tells him he will not allow himself to use the power that he absolutely could for a self-serving reason. Every single one of us has the power to do everything we want only for ourselves. Jesus had the power to make bread from a rock. He had that power. He absolutely did. Some of you have incredible gifts that you use for yourself and yourself alone. And the world is missing out. Jesus wanted the world to know he wasn't going to be using his power because the moment he would use his power, it would mean we as humans couldn't even ever imagine to live as closely with the Father as he did. Because he's special. He's got power we don't have. There's no way I could stand up to Satan. No, you can't. But in the Holy Spirit, brother, you can do anything. Does the scripture say that or it doesn't not? So do you believe it? In this first temptation, Jesus is targeted with the physical. Do what feels right, Jesus. Do what feels right to you. You know you need that. What did the text say? It said that Jesus was hungry. It said he had a physical desire, a need. God has a need? Absolutely. Why? Because he was fully in the flesh. He was living as a human being. One of the most beautiful realities for you and me is that Jesus came down in human flesh to be like us, the Emmanuel, God with us, not the God apart from us, the God who steps into our skin, knows every way, every temptation, every trial, everything it was to be a human. The first temptation targets desire, the fleshly desire. If you go through these 45 years between the happiness points, trying to find ways to medicate your genuine needs, genuine needs, legitimate needs, in illegitimate ways, you will harm yourself more than you ever could believe. I think one of the reasons why unhappiness continues to grow throughout the years as opposed to stopping and jumping into this realm of happiness right now is because we continue to medicate along the way in these ways that the world promises will bring you happiness. Well, if you just had a little bit more of an education, you might feel better about yourself. Your girl might think you're cooler. You can provide a bit more. And those are legitimate reasons. But then when you start doing everything for everyone else, and every moment you step into a new space where you feel insecure about yourself, you jump into an illegitimate then moment. You might be called to education. Yes, absolutely. But if you're trying to use it as a medication, hoping it might bring you happiness, then you're going to be like the majority of physicians out there who are actually unhappy and take a bottle every single night. Do you know those studies? My wife has told me about them regularly. Most physicians, nurses, have an alcohol problem. Why? The education didn't bring the happiness. Oh, oh, wait a minute. 
Because that's the moment when you realize, oh, wait a second, I can provide for myself with this? That might bring me to cutting the shortcut, and I'll get here quicker. Shortcut never helps. Shortcut never helped nobody. We continue going on with the text. And here now in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If, again that word, if, you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. They will lift you up out of their hands so that you might not strike your foot against a stone. See, Satan realized Scripture is his enemy, but it is the authority of Jesus. And so he begins to use what Jesus uses in order to convince him of his way. I don't know how many of you have ever had a friend who said, hey, God told me. God told me, man. I remember a friend of mine, he said, God told me. And he literally put several scriptures together and disbelieved key doctrines of the Bible and soon walked away from faith. Scripture twisted. Jesus doesn't stand for that either. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, All of this I will give to you. He said, But if you will bow down and worship me. Hmm. You see, Satan had to change his tactics. He couldn't target his identity anymore. He couldn't target everything that he would see. He had to target his inner desires. The shortcut. Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross to have it all. You don't have to die on the cross to be the king and worshipped by everybody. No, 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 no. I will give it to you right now easily. I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know what gets you. I don't know what all of a sudden turns your mind askew. But I do know that every one of us has one. Has some. Some many, some less. And every time you think about the moment of saying, God, I'm going I'm to give in to this. Life's just been a little bit too hard and I think that this might just kind of... <sighs> Help me with my unhappiness. Might make things a little better. It's in those moments that I want you to remember this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Go there with me for a moment. Because you see, in every one of these moments when Jesus could have given in, could have said, I'm going to take it. I can't do it. I won't make it. This is what comes out, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Listen to these words. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, come on, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. 
God does not leave us where we are unshielded. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, memorize this. Every time you feel like, gosh, I'm sitting at the computer, I don't want to go there. Every time you sit in that car with her. Every moment you're at that test and you could look at that other dude. Every time you sit, whatever it is, whatever your temptation, whatever that moment of just taking the shortcut, the easy way. God, I know I want to honor you, but this just seems so much better. Remember, he will provide a way out if you want it. But very few of us seem to want it. And I tell you that from honest experience. Because a lot of moments in my life, I just didn't want to obey the Lord. And people say, hey, how was your, how was your week, man? How was it? Ask me the next hour and it'll be a different reality. How was that moment when I could have stood up to that temptation but said, uh, I'd rather. Ask me the next hour. Another thing comes up. Ask me another moment. Another thing comes up. Every single time you and I are brought to a moment of saying, God, remember, he provides the way out if you want it. There's five spiritual lessons that kind of step out and just stare blaringly at me about what we just looked at. No one is exempt from temptation. Not one person. If God himself was tempted, you too will be tempted. Number two, temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Some of us are tempted with the craziest of things. I mean, in my mind, I'm tempted with all kinds of stuff. But just the temptation itself doesn't mean I have fallen into sin. It is the act going into it. It is the moment of meditation. Jesus says, hey, if you've dwelled on it, you've spent and lived in it, yeah, you've sinned. But just it's faint brought to your mind, that's not a sin. But the moment you go into it, the moment you dwell there, the moment you act upon it, yes, you have fallen. Number three, spiritual lesson, you want to respond to temptation with God's word. Hence the reason each one of us should be sitting at the feet of Jesus regularly. Some of you are like, bro, I don't have time. Or you don't know my life or where I've been. Come on. Like, why are you coming so hard at me right now? I, I'm just telling you how Jesus got through. If you want to fight with that, you can. If you want to make excuses why you can't spend that time with him. Or you want to make the legitimization why you're bigger than the word and you can make it without it. Fine, go ahead. But, but don't, don't be doubtful that you're going to get to 47.2 and feel unhappy still. Because I'll tell you, there is a shortcut to getting to this space of 65 and living in the spirit and joy and fullness and blessing and hope and faithfulness and obedience. And that comes when you follow Jesus through the temptations when you hide his word in your heart, when you allow yourself to say no to comparison, but rather, God, what do you want me to be in? What do you want me to look like? Father, what does your word declare about me? Because if you read the text just before Matthew chapter four, you see that Jesus got baptized. He doesn't have to doubt his identity because what did his father say? This is my son. 
Jesus doesn't get into a moment of confusion. Oh my goodness, I don't know who I am. Satan, yes, I will go down that way because he knows what the Father says about him. Do you know what the Father says about you? You will discover it if you spend time with him. Number four, resist the devil in the power of the Spirit. The text at the very beginning, verse 1, said that Jesus was brought to the wilderness by the Spirit and he was led through it by the Spirit. If you imagine you can get through this life without the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you will not make it. Last thing, pursue the will of God through it all. Pursue the will of God through it all. It's interesting, going back to that happiness study in conclusion here, I'll call a band to come up. The author brought up these other practical realities that I want, to, I want you to consider tonight. Listen to these practical realities of how to kind of combat this journey of unhappiness. Sometimes we might just need to make a few closer friends. In the Framingham study done by Harvard, one of the largest studies on happiness that was done over a period of 75 years, they found that individuals who graduated from Harvard and had the degrees, had the money, had it all, were so drastically unhappy compared to the other people they studied who were simply blue-collar workers in the factories near the university who had closer friendships with their family and friends. All the degrees, all the money, all the accolades separated themselves from genuine relationships. So the author says, just build a few friends. You don't need the whole world as your friend, just a couple. Stop comparing yourself to others and just compare yourself to yourself. Help other people. Self-serving attitudes don't really help yourself. And express gratitude every day. Focusing on what you have instead of what you don't have. You know, you're left with a moment in time right now to make a decision. In your moments of temptation, which they will come, every single day, every moment, you and I are called to make a decision to live into the reality that the Holy Spirit wants to live in you and give you the power to overcome. I tell you tonight, every single one of us are called right now to make that decision. God, am I going to go through this life on empty, spiritually weak, compromised, continuing to fall for the same things over and over and over? Paul tells us, hey, I always do the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I just don't do. But Paul also tells us that there is a power that comes upon us when we live in the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you tonight, God wants to give you that level of power. He wants to give you that level of hope and he wants to free you from the bondage that you've been placed in. Whether by your choice, you want to talk about early parenthood that kind of influenced you and made you who you are. You want to talk about bad relationships or people did you wrong. All these kind of things you can point to and make excuses about. But I want to tell you, Jesus wants to break every bondage that's been in your life. Jesus wants to give you a new and renewed hope. 
built on the happiness founded in Him. Tonight, maybe you're a new believer or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. But as the band here tonight plays this last song, I want to invite you forward to pray. Up front, right here, laying it down at the throne of God. We have some people that are going to be up here if you want to pray with someone. that They want to pray over you. They might put a hand on you. I want you to just be open to saying, God, I need to redo this thing again. I've been walking in my own strength. I've been falling again and again for the same things. God, I need you now. You need a few people in your life. I want to encourage you, find a few accountability partners in your life. And I tell you, if you're a girl, find a few girl girls. If you're a guy, find a few good guys. And just pour out your heart to each other. James chapter 5 tells us, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. And so find some people to journey along this life. Take the word of God and hide it in your heart and walk into this new reality with a new attitude that God will not leave you to be tempted alone, but will always provide a way out for you. God bless you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.